Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. There's one word that affects you more than any other word. There is one word that, for many of you, it brings back a rush of feelings and emotion and and memories. There's one word that defines you, defines who you are, where you come from, the way that you see the world, where you're heading, your past, your present, your future. There's one word that affects your life more than any other word. And for some of you, when you hear this word, it brings back memories of of joy and of of happiness and laughter. And for others of you, when you hear this one word, it brings memories that are painful and that are that are very hurtful and lots of nights where you cry and you, you weep because of this word. And no matter who you are, this word has great meaning but it means different things for different people. And there's one word that really affects your life more than anything else. And that one word is family. The word family affects you more than anything else in your life. It affects who you are, how you see yourself and how you see the world. It's, it's family. And so today we're going to meet Jesus's family. Today we're going to meet Jesus' family. If you got your Bibles, turn with you to Mark chapter 3, and you know it's always a big day when you finally meet the family, right? It's a big day when you meet the family, and today we're going to meet Jesus's family. So we're continuing our sermon series through the gospel of Mark. We're calling it the simple gospel. We're taking the better part of two years just looking and learning from Jesus, and we're seeing who Jesus is, and today we're going to meet Jesus's family. I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to unpack it on the back end, starting in verse 20. Then he, that's Jesus, okay, he went home. Most likely, this is Simon Peter house because Jesus, he didn't have a home. Jesus, he comes from Nazareth, but as he enters into his life in ministry, he leaves home, he goes to Galilee and he opens um, Simon Peter's house as the headquarters and the base of operation for Jesus's ministry. So when it says home, it's really talking about Simon Peter's house. And then the crowd, they gathered again, massive crowds, great crowds, lots of people coming and following after Jesus. So a big crowd gathered again at Peter's house so that he could not even eat. Jesus is like, can a dude just get a sandwich, right? That's all I want. I just want to take a break, right? Everywhere I go, y'all keep following me. I just need, I just need some alone time. I'd like to be able to go home. I would just like to take a minute, take a moment to myself. He's like, can I even just get a day off? I would like to go home and I would like to sit on the couch, watch the Cowboys lose and eat a sandwich. Is that too big to ask, Amen. right? I, I would just like to do that. And he can't even get a moment to eat because the great crowd, they're following after him. Verse 21, the story continues. And then his family heard it. So there's our word. It's his family, Jesus's family. They went out to seize him for they're saying that you are out of your mind. Verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, they were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul. Okay, and we studied this a little bit last week, but here's what we see so far in Jesus's ministry. Jesus comes out, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing. Jesus, he's a very big deal. He's trending, he's gone viral. Everybody wants to come and see Jesus. So much so that Jesus, he can't even get a break. 
that he can't even get a moment to, to be alone without so much constant pressure and people always wanting and trying to get something out of him. Hey, Jesus, do a trick. Hey, Jesus, do a miracle. Hey, Jesus, we want to see you do something amazing. And everybody comes and sees Jesus and he can't even get a minute or a moment to himself. And I think that this is very interesting because here's what we see here, that, 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 that we have a different understanding of Jesus than, than what's presented. Okay, see, oftentimes when we think about Jesus, okay, we think everybody loved him. Okay, but that's not actually what we see. The Bible paints a different picture of Jesus than what we, we normally think. Here's what we normally think. We think that Jesus was some, you know, hippie who just walked around giving peace signs to everybody, quoting little Zen statements and sitting in the lotus position. That's Jesus. Or we have the Thomas Kincaid understanding of Jesus to where you guys grew up with flannel graphs. If you didn't, praise the Lord. You had flannel graphs and you're sitting there watching and, you know, Jesus, he's sitting by a tree and maybe there's one or two other people who are kind of watching him. He's got a lamb draped around his shoulder and he's got little kids over there and he's drinking chamomile tea and he's like, okay, here's Jesus, right? Okay, the Bible has a different understanding of Jesus. Here's what we see. That Jesus' own family thinks that he's crazy. They say he is out of his mind. See, Jesus' family, they're like, he's crazy, right? He has totally lost it. Woohoo, gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Weirdo, crazy. Jesus claiming to be God. We need to get him home. We got to adjust his meds, get him a nice little padded room. Okay, he needs to take a nap. Like, we got to get him home. Jesus' family thinks he's crazy. And we also see that the religious leaders, they think he is possessed by a demon. Right, that's the Bible. That's the picture of Jesus that the Bible paints. Not everybody loved him. In fact, most people, they didn't understand him. Most people, they didn't like him. And we see this play out today as the story continues. So here's where we're at now. If you jump down to verse 31. And, he, and his mother and his brothers came and they were standing outside and they sent to him and they called him and the great crowd was sitting around and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're seeking you. You're like, oh, Jesus, you're in trouble now. Somebody called your mom, right? Mary's here. Mary's here. She's coming to get you, right? Jesus, you need to go home, right? You got to go home now. You know, it's a bad day when your mother shows up, right? She shows up and she's like, Jesus, claiming to be God again. I need to get him home. Come on, Jesus. Let me grab you by the ear and let's just drag you all the way back to Nazareth. We need to get home now. And that's, that's how Jesus' life was, that Jesus' own family didn't believe in him. They didn't understand him. And that Jesus' mother comes and tries to get him because they were saying he is out of his mind. And so here's, here's what we see next. Verse 33, and he, being Jesus, answered them. He said, who are my mother and brothers? You think Mary's right here, right? James, the rest of your brothers, here they are. He's like, who are my mother and brothers? Well, they're, they're right here. But Jesus is talking about something different. Okay, see his family, they're on the outside. They're a part of the crowd. And here's what Jesus says. Who are my mother and brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he's talking to his disciples now. So he looks to his family. Now he's looking to his followers. And he says, these are the men. This is what he's thinking. These are the men who have laid everything down. These are my disciples. These are my friends. These are the ones who listen to me, learn from me. These are the ones who love me. And he looks at them and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Why? And this is important. Verse 35, for those who ever do the will of God, he is my brother and sister and 
mother. And today we're going to meet Jesus's family. Okay, how many of you remember the day that you met your, your, the family, right? Those of you who are married, um, do you remember when you met your spouse's family? Those of you who are engaged, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, do you remember when you met the family? That's a big day, isn't it? It's a big day when they bring you home and they're like, here's my mom, here's my dad. They're like, oh, okay, great. That's a very important day. And if you want to get to know somebody, well, there's a couple of things that you, you need to do. The, the first thing, if you want to get to know somebody, you actually got to spend time with them. You need to meet, meet them. So you meet somebody and you're like, hey, they're nice and they're a little cute. Like, let's go on a date. Let's go to the movies. Let's have dinner. And you, you meet them and, and you learn about them. They tell you some things about themselves and then you tell your, them some things about you and, and you get to meet the person. But if you really want to get to know a person, you also need to meet their friends. Okay, because a person is the summation of the people they surround themselves with. And so if you really want to get to know somebody, you also need to get to know their friends. Like, so ladies, if, if, his, if his friends are losers, guess what? Mm, he's a loser. Okay, he's a loser. And, and if his friends, are, if his friends you know, aren't really good people, well, he's on his best behavior. His behavior is not very good either. And so you probably just know, dump him. Um, but if he has good friends, if he has godly friends, then you know that, well, he's probably a good and godly guy. And so you can learn a lot about a person from getting to, to know their friends. But if you really want to get to know someone, then you, you need to meet their family. Because the family is going to tell you about a person, stuff that they would never tell you about themselves. And oftentimes they do it because they want to embarrass you. And it's the same way when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. Like if you want to get to know Jesus, you have to meet him. We call that salvation. That you give your life to Jesus and then you begin to learn from him. And you get to meet Jesus and we do that through the Bible. And when we're in the gospels, we meet Jesus and we hear about Jesus and we learn from Jesus. So you need to meet Jesus. Well, you can also get to know Jesus from his friends. We call them disciples. So, you know, Matthew and, and John, right? Those are Jesus' disciples. We also see First and Second Peter. They write books of the Bible where we can learn about Jesus from his friends. But if you really want to get to know someone, if you really want to see what people thought about Jesus, then you're going to have to meet Jesus' family. Because Jesus' family gives us this unique insight into the life, into the ministry of Jesus. And so today we're going to meet Jesus' family. Did you all know that Jesus had a family? Yeah, Jesus, he had a family. Mark tells us here that he has a mother, he has brothers, and later in the series, we're going to meet Jesus' sister. So Jesus had a mother, he had brothers, and he had sisters. The Bible tells us that he had four brothers, um, James, Jude, Simon, and Joseph. And then later in Mark chapter 9, I believe it says Jesus had sisters. That's plural. Okay, so Jesus, he comes from a very big family. Did y'all know that Jesus had a, a, a family? And I'm not talking that he went and, you know, got married and, you know, had some kids and ran off to France. We're not talking about that stuff. But Jesus, he did have a family. He had a home that he grew up in. He had people who loved him and people who knew him and people, you know, who he surrounded himself with. He had a childhood. And, and Jesus comes from this, this family. Let me address something real quick and then we're going to be able to move on. Um, in the Catholic Church, they teach something that's known as the perpetual virginity of, of Mary. Um, the actual wording for it is Semper Virgo. And they'll say that Mary, she was a virgin and she was always a virgin. Now here at Redemption, we believe in the virgin birth. And we love Mary. We like Mary. We even did a whole sermon series last Christmas over the life of Mary. We love Mary. Um, but also we see that Jesus, he had brothers and sisters. So we, we believe that Mary, by a miracle of the, the Holy Spirit, she conceived Jesus. She got an angel. The angel showed up and says, Mary, you found favor in the Lord and you're going to have a baby. And she's like, how does that happen? I've never, 
Oh, it's a miracle. We got it. And then Joseph, he also got an angel and says, she's not lying. She's not crazy. Go ahead and marry the girl. And then they did it. They married. And she gave birth to Jesus um, as a virgin. But we also know that, well, Jesus also had brothers and sisters. So where do you get a, where do you get a brother at? Right? If you haven't figured it out by now, I can't help you. Um, see, when, when two people love each other you know, a lot, and then do you want a baby brother? Okay, that's where it comes from. You got it now. And so by, by, by all accounts and purposes, um, we see that Mary and, and, and Joseph, they had a very loving, natural relationship that resulted in a lot, of, a lot of children. Because Jesus, he comes from a very large family. Scholars and commentators believe that Jesus had upwards of probably seven to ten brothers and sisters. That's a big family. How many of you come from a big family? Come from a big family? There we go. Yeah. I come from a very large family. I am the oldest of six. Okay. I have five brothers, one sister. You guys can pray for my sister um, because I'm worried about her. You should pray for my sister, but don't laugh too hard because she's watching your kids right now. So so I come from a large family, five brothers, one sister. That's kind of what it was like for, for Jesus. Okay. Could you just imagine what would it be like to have Jesus as a brother? Right, you think that would be incredible to have Jesus to be my big brother? That would be amazing. But would it really? Would it really to be, be amazing to have Jesus as a brother? I mean, just think about it. Like you couldn't get away with anything. He's Jesus. He's always watching. You couldn't get away with anything. You think, you think he was perfect, right? No faults, no failures, no sin in Jesus. What about you? Were you perfect? You're like, no, but I was a good kid. Mm, No, compared to Jesus, you were a bad kid, right? I mean, some of you, you were just, you were bad. You were bad kids. I know that, right? Because your mom told me like, you were bad. You're like, okay, do you want to get a spanking when you wake up? Or do you want to wait till you get home from school? Because either way, it's going to happen, right? Some of you, you, you were like that. Jesus is your big brother. Okay, you, you couldn't get away with it. Just think about it. Mary would come in, a lamp falls over, crashes. Who did that? Well, it wasn't Jesus. James, get over here. Bam. <laughs> You're like, oh, it was Jesus. No, it wasn't. Why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? You need to be like Jesus. Here's your WWJD bracelet. Why don't you go sit in the corner and why don't you think about your brother? Everybody's always talking about Jesus, but I never get it. Okay, it would be, it would be hard to grow up with Jesus as a brother, Okay, but it would, also be, it would also be really cool. I mean, just think about it, right? Do you need help with math? He invented math, right? He could help you with that. The Pythagorean theorem's no problem for Jesus. He's got it. Do you, do you need wisdom? Who better to go to for wisdom? Do you need guidance? Well, here's Jesus. He's right there. He could, he could help you. He could lead you. He could guide you, right? Do you, need, do you need to understand the Bible? Who better to ask than the person who the whole point of the Bible is all about him? Right. Do you need prayer? Who better to pray with than the person you pray to? Do you want to go fishing? Okay, you don't even need a boat. He could just walk you out to the middle of the lake and you could catch the biggest fish there is because Jesus, he's your big brother. That would be amazing, right? But here's what we see. Even though they had Jesus with them, they still didn't believe in him. Even though that Jesus was right there for their entire life, they still didn't understand him. They still didn't believe in him. They still didn't trust him. They still, they still didn't see him for who he truly was. And that just goes to show that sometimes family can be hard. That sometimes your family is the last person to see you for who you really are. And that just goes to show that sometimes, just sometimes, home is the hardest mission field. And we're going to see this play out today. And I just want to give you some hope for your family today. 
that some of you, you know this and you experience this and you feel this because your family's not really following Jesus and you pray for them and you love them and you want them to, but they, but they still don't. I want to just give you some hope for your family today because I know many of you are walking through this and Jesus today, he's going he's gonna to talk to us about family. He's going to tell us three things as he introduces us to his family. And, and the first thing he's going to tell us is this, that Jesus's family is not biological. Here's what he says in verse 20. Then he, being Jesus, he went home and the crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. No sandwich for Jesus. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Woohoo, crazy. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and they called him and the crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're seeking you. And he said, who? are my mother and my brothers. Here Jesus, he distances himself from his own family. This is what F.F. Bruce, the great theologian says, is a hard saying of Jesus. And the the, the storyline looks like this, that Jesus' family, they go to get Jesus and they want to bring him back home, not because they hate him or not because they're, they're wanting to harm him, but actually they're trying to help him. That they go and they, they find Jesus because they're worried. Mary sees that he, he can't even get time to eat. So they're worried about his health, his mental health. They're, they're worried about his emotional well-being. They're really concerned for Jesus. And so they, they go and they, they go to get him. They seize him and they try to bring him back, back home. And it's because they're trying to help him. Because they understand what happens when people do the things that Jesus does. They, they get it when people make claims like Jesus makes. Jesus repeatedly, emphatically, publicly declared himself to be God. You can't say that, especially in very strict Jewish environments. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus is healing people again. He's getting in fights with the Pharisees. Oh my gosh, we need to get him home. This is insane. It has gone way further than we ever thought that it would. We got to get him home. And they're doing this because they are concerned about him. They really do care about him, but they they end up putting Jesus in this very awkward place. And they say, Jesus, you need to come home right now. And Jesus says, I'm I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming home. And, And and this is important for us to understand. Okay, Jesus right here, he is not dishonoring his family. Okay, he is distancing, but distancing is not dishonoring. And Jesus, he wouldn't dishonor his family because he knows that the fifth commandment in the 10 commandments is to honor your mother and your father. And Jesus never violates any of the commands. So Jesus here, he's, he's not dishonoring his family. And later in the series, we're going to see that Jesus has some very hard words for the Pharisees who take advantage of their own family for the sake of their religious pride. So Jesus here, he is not dishonoring his family, but this is something that's very important. Jesus uses this moment to prove a point. And what he's going to say is that his true family is not biological. Here's what you, you probably noticed this. Do you see it says his mother and his brothers? And at the end, he says, who are my mother and brothers? But there is no mention of a father. Did you, did you see that? Did you notice that? Jesus says, where are my mother and brothers? Who are my mother and brothers? But he never mentions his father because Jesus understands that his father is God the Father. His Father is in heaven. His Father is our Heavenly Father. And so he looks at his biological family and says, here are my mothers, here are my brothers, here are my sisters, but really, truly, this is my Father. And he has a decision that he has to make. Is he going to listen to his family and go home, or is he going to listen to his Father and keep moving forward? He has to make this decision. What do I do? Do I obey my family, or do I obey my Father? 
And it's his family who puts him in this very awkward position. What do I do? Who do I trust? Who do I turn to? Who do I listen to? My family or my father? Sometimes your family puts you in that same place. Sometimes in your life, your family is going to put you in that exact same position. And you have to ask yourself, who am I going to listen to? And some of you, you're new Christians. And so you know this and you, you understand this. And it's something that's playing out right now. Like you come to church and you get saved and you're like, yay, Jesus. And then you go home and you tell your family, hey, I gave my life to Jesus. And they're like, oh, really? Right. You think you're better than us now? And when you go home and you have dinner and you're sitting around and you're inviting them to church and you're talking about your community group and here's what I'm studying, here's what I'm learning. And they're like, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to hear about it. What you mean to tell me that you think you're better than me now? That you think that I'm wrong? But you, oh, you really mean to tell me, you think that I'm going to hell. Oh, is that really what you believe? And you find yourself in this place and it's awkward because you love your family, you care for your family, you pray for your family, and you desperately want your family to know the same love, the same joy, the same peace, the same salvation that you have, but they don't want to hear it, and they don't want to listen to it. And so you find yourself in this really strange place. What do you do? And I know that many of us, we, we, we feel this, especially the older saints in the church. A lot of the older saints in the church, you tell me all the time how you're praying for your kids because you raised him in the church and you told him about Jesus and you tucked him in and you read the bedtime stories and you prayed over them. And as they grow up, they walked away. They don't follow Jesus anymore. They're not in church anymore and your grandkids, they're not learning about Jesus either. So you might get them for the weekend, but you, you can't really invest in them. And it breaks your heart because you love them and you care for them and they're your kids. And they don't understand you. And they don't listen to you, and they don't want to hear it, and it hurts. And I know that there are a lot of women in our church who they're here today by themselves because their husband's at home and he refuses to come. And so for the married women in the church who are here by themselves, it hurts because you want your husband to know Jesus, and he, he still won't come. And I know that there's a lot of young people in our church who they're new Christians and you came to church and you got excited and you went to Next Steps and you joined a team and you even started tithing. And your dad says, you're wasting your time. Why are you hanging out with those people? You need to leave. You just need to, you need to go get a job. You need to find a boyfriend. You need to move on with your life. Stop wasting your time in that church. I know one guy, he got saved and he was living with his girlfriend. He went home, told his girlfriend, and she left him. I know one guy who his wife is teaching their daughter things contrary to what he believes, and it hurts. I know one girl in our church, she, she got saved, and she comes from depression and self-injury and self-harm, and she was raised in an atheistic family, and both her mom and dad told her, you know, Christians are you know, not as educated, you're smarter than that, and Christians are dumb, and don't listen to them, and then she becomes a Christian and she goes home and she tells her parents and her family says, we raised you better than that. And so she has to make a decision. Who does she listen to, her family or her new father? And eventually, you can listen to your family, but you gotta, you got to love your father. And so she has to make a decision. This girl does and you do. Who do you listen to? Do you listen to your family or do you listen to your father? And sometimes your family is going to put you in a hard place to where you have to make these hard decisions because you love them 
You really do. You care for them. You really do. And what you want most is to see them love and follow after Jesus, and they don't. And it hurts. And it's hard. Because family's hard. And sometimes home is the hardest mission field. And for those of you who are in this place right now, I just really want to give you some hope. You're struggling with this. You're in the same place that Jesus was. That Jesus, he understands. Jesus, he gets it. Jesus, he knows it. Because even his own family didn't believe in him. And you think, Mary, you grew up with, you gave birth to Jesus through a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And then 30 years go by. And you raise him, and you see him, and you become so familiar with him that you don't even notice him anymore. She missed it. We think, James, we shared a bunk bed. And James doesn't believe in him. And they say, Jesus, you're crazy. Jesus, you are out of your mind. Jesus, you need to get home right now. And he says, I'm not coming home because I have to obey my father. I love you. I really do. But I have to obey my father right now. And so he has to do the work, do the will of the Father. And so Jesus, he makes this point, and he says, my true family is not biological. He goes on, and he's going to tell us a little bit more in verse 22. The second thing we see is that his true family is also not cultural. Here's what he says in 22. And the scribes, those are the religious leaders, okay, they come down from Jerusalem, and they're saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. We talked a little bit about this last week. Oop, there we go. We talked a little bit about this last week. Okay, here, the religious leaders, they're accusing Jesus of being possessed by a demon. You can go back and listen to last week's sermon. It's pretty intense because this is a pretty intense section of scripture. They accuse Jesus of being possessed. Okay, now here's what we did. Originally, this sermon was supposed to be one sermon in two parts or two, two, ser- yeah. So actually I broke it into two. It was supposed to be, let me say that again. <laughs> Originally, originally, one, the Holy Spirit's going to kick in in just a second. It's going to be amazing. So what happened was, originally, this is one section, but I decided to break it into two sermons. Uh, and I felt like I had the freedom to do that because this is what's known as a, a Markin sandwich, not a Subway sandwich. So don't, don't get too hungry too fast. We still got like 30 minutes left in the sermon. And you just stay with me. It's a Markin sandwich. And let me get a little Bible nerd on you for a sec. Okay, this is a very rare, unique literary device that happens in the Bible. And one of the only places it happens is in the Gospel of Mark, because Mark is a brilliant author. He's a genius storyteller. That's why we're calling it the simple gospel, because for Mark, right, he makes it very simple for you to understand who Jesus is. And one of the ways he does it is by the way that he writes. And so what he's doing right here is he's telling two stories to present one person problem. Okay, so the two stories are Jesus' family think he's crazy. The religious leaders think he's possessed. Okay, two stories. Here's the one problem. The people who are closest to Jesus still didn't know him. The people who were supposed to know him, they still didn't know who he was. The people who were supposed to see him, they still didn't see him. Even the people who were closest to him, they still did not believe in him. There's the problem. And so what he's saying is like Jesus' family, they grew up with them. And they still don't believe him. And then he shows us the religious leaders. And for the religious leaders, listen, like these are the scribes. These are the teachers of the law. These are the men who spend their whole life just studying the Bible. And, and, and they, they come down from Jerusalem. And they say he is possessed. Now, this would have been, um, for, for Jesus, he was Jewish. 
Okay, he grew up in the religious systems. For all the fights that we see with Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus, he would have been theologically aligned with the Pharisees. Because Jesus, he was raised Jewish. He, he grew up going to synagogue and going to the temple and you know, observing the Sabbath and fasting on the Day of Atonement. He would read the Torah, pray the Shema. Jesus, he did all of those things. And he grew up with these very religious people and he lived in a very religious culture. And even the teachers of the law and the religion and the culture, they still didn't see him. And this is very important for us to understand because what Jesus is showing us here is that his true family is not cultural. And for those of us who are raised in Southeast Texas, this is very important for you to understand because we live in culture Christianity. If you're from Beaumont, you are from basically like the belt buckle on the Bible belt. I mean, that's where we're at. We're the, you know, the Jesus fish with the cowboy boot, gold belt buckle on the Bible belt. Everybody here, we're Christians, right? And I meet people and I say, hey, are you Christian? They say, oh yeah, I was born a Christian. No, you weren't, right? No one is born a Christian. Christianity is not an ethnicity. Right? People think, oh, well, I was born a Christian. No, that's not how it works. No one's born a Christian. You're born again as a Christian, but you are not born a Christian. And we need to understand this, that we live in a day that's probably very culturally similar to the day that Jesus grew up, very religious. So people think, okay, well, you know, I went to church and my grandmother, she prayed for me. And, you know, I've read the Bible a few times. I went to Awanas. I prayed a sinner's prayer. I'm a pretty good person. So that must make me a Christian as if just going to church a few times automatically makes you a Christian. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. That no one culturally is a part of Jesus's family. There's something more that goes into it. But right now, if you were to go on Google and you were to, you know, just search like what percentage of America is Christians, the first article that's going to show up is something from Wikipedia. And it's going to say 75% of Americans are Christians. And you'd see that and you think 75% yay, we're doing a great job, right? And then you look around, you're like, it doesn't seem like 75%, does it? And so what they'll do is they call like a whole bunch of people and here's how they get it. They call people and they say, what is your religion? 75% of Americans say Christian, check the box, move on. And that's how they got that number. But there's other researchers that they wanted to dig down a little bit deeper. There's one man, his name's Christian Smith. He's a renowned sociologist out of Notre Dame, uh, University of Notre Dame. And he did a study and he, he asked, he's like, well, okay, I see 75% is the number. But when I look around, I, I just don't see that that's actually what's going on here. And so he did an interview study, um, sociological, secular, not Christian, not from the church. And he changed the question. What he discovered is if you change the question, it changes the answer. So he changes the question instead of saying like, Hey, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, good. Call the next person. Um, he asked five questions, five basic biblical questions that any Christian should be able to answer. Right? And so here's, here's the five questions. These aren't weird questions. These aren't hard questions. They're trick theology questions. They're just, they're just normal questions. So here's the, here's the questions that he asks. He says, do you believe in the authority of Scripture? Do you believe in the Trinity? Do you believe in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross for your sins? Do you believe in the mission of the local church? And do you believe in the second coming? Okay, just normal questions. Nothing fancy, nothing weird, nothing odd, basic, ordinary Orthodox Christian questions for the last 2,000 years. Same book, same Bible, same doctrine, classic creeds. I mean, whether you're from, you know, 1500s, 400s in Ethiopia, if you're from the 1800s in India, or if you're from, you know, 2018 Redemption Church at Dixie Dance Hall. All Christians believed these things. And here's what was shocking. You change the question, you change the answer. It goes from 75% to 8. 8%. 
according to his research and study. And what that goes to show is that you can, you can be born in the church. You can be raised in the church. You can, you can grow up in the church. You can go to revival services four times a week. You can, you can go to Royal Rangers. You can go to Awanas. You can raise your hand, pray the prayer. You can walk the aisle. You can get hell scared out of you at youth group. And then you can get married in the church. You can have your funeral in the church. And you could still not be a part of Jesus' true family. See, Christianity is not a cultural thing. See, Christianity is not an ethnicity. Christianity is not an ideology. Jesus' family is not a philosophy. Jesus' family is not merely a religion nor a political party. Jesus' family is something else entirely. It is not cultural. It is not biological. It is something more. So Jesus is going to tell us if it's not biological, if it's not cultural, then what is it? And here's what Jesus tells us. Number three, Jesus's family, his true family is relational. Verse 34, and looking around at those who sat around him. Okay, what is that? That's relationship. It's the people who are sitting around him, those who are sitting with him, those who are spending time with him, who are sitting at his feet, listening to him, learning from him, those who were following him. It's the people who are on the inside. Okay, it's relationship. It's not his mother and his brothers. It's not his religious leaders. It's his disciples. It's those who sat around him. Here are my mother and brothers. He says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and my sister and my brother. This is Jesus's true family. It's those who have relationship with him. It's those who spend time with him, who listen to him, who learn from him, who lay down their lives, who sit at his feet and follow him. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you're my true family. And just think, he's talking to the disciples here. I mean, these guys, they have absolutely nothing in common. They're probably sitting there like, what, us? Really? Like, oh, okay, these guys, they are poor, uneducated, most likely illiterate. Okay, they didn't have anything in common. Like four of them are fishermen. One's a tax collector. One's a zealot. The other's waiting to stab him in the back. I mean, these guys, they have absolutely nothing in common. And Jesus says, you're my family now. I mean, this is, this is incredible. This is such good news because what it tells us is that to be a part of Jesus' family, it doesn't depend on you. That it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. It doesn't matter how you were raised or where you were raised. It doesn't matter about you. It's not dependent on you, but Jesus calls you to be a part of his family so that you could spend time with him, so that you can be with him in relationship with him because that's what it means to be a part of Jesus' family. So no matter who you are or where you come from, right? If you're from you know, America, you're just as much a part of Jesus' family as someone who's from Africa. That if you're, if you're here, if you're from China or if you're from you know, India or from Iraq, you're a part of, you can be welcomed into Jesus's family. It doesn't matter on your race, you know, black, white, Latino, Asian, doesn't matter on your socioeconomic background. So if you're born into affluence, if you're born into poverty, either way, you're still welcomed into Jesus's family. If you're you know, rich or poor, if you are uh, um, young or old or single or married, it doesn't matter. You're still welcomed into Jesus's family because Jesus's definition of family is different than ours. See, Jesus' definition of family isn't where you come from, but who you're with. See, Jesus says, my true family, my real family is not biological, it's not cultural, but rather it is, it is relational. So how do we know if someone is a part of Jesus' family? How do we know if you're a part of Jesus' family? Right? Well, Jesus, he tells us right now how we can tell. He says, whoever does the will of God, he 
is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God is in my family. And here's the reason why. Because obedience is the sign of relationship. Obedience is the sign of relationship. Now let me drill down here for just a sec because this is very important. Don't, don't get it twisted. Okay, don't think that relationship, okay, relationship comes from your obedience. Okay, that's not how it works. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that the sign of relationship will be those obedience. See, as Christians, we don't obey so that God will love us. Okay, as Christians, we obey because God has loved us so much in Jesus. Okay, there's a difference. See, some of you, you, you grew up thinking that if I obey, then I will be loved. Like you grew up in families like that. You grew up in homes like that. Maybe you had an abusive dad or an overbearing mom and you grew up in a home where you sought your entire life to try to earn the affection of your parents. And they never said, I'm pleased with you. They never said, good job. They never said, you make me happy. They never said, I loved you. And you went your whole life just trying to get the affection from your parents. And you thought, if I just work harder, if I just try harder, if I just do better, then maybe they will love me. And you worked your whole life and you never heard those words. Okay, I want you to know that's not how Jesus' family works. Okay, in in Jesus' family, he loves us. He loves us. So some of you grew up in this home, and that's your understanding of who God the Father is. See, God the Father, he's not an abusive dad. He's not an absent dad. He's not a detached and far off dad, just waiting for you to trip and fall, dad. That's not who we have as as a father. He loves us. He is close to us. He is with us. He is near us, and he loves to be with us, to be in relationship, to be in relationship with us. See, we don't obey so that God will love us. That's what religion is. See, religion says, if you do this, then God will love you. So if you dress this way, if you read this translation of the Bible, if you speak in tongues and go to this church, then God will love you. That's religion. And it plays out in all other religions as well. So if you travel to Mecca, if you go to this holy place, if you give this much money, if you pray this many times a day, if you reincarnate and pay off your karmic debt, then maybe possibly at the end of your life, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then maybe God will forgive you and maybe God will love you. That's religion and it's not what God teaches. See, we obey because we have been loved. And I didn't understand this until I became a dad myself. So I became a father because I was working on this sermon and I was like, you know, I, I really think about my family a lot. And, and I was working on the sermon, I was thinking about my childhood. I was thinking about my home. I was thinking about my grandparents and my brothers and my sister. And I was thinking about them. And then I realized I have, I have a new family. I have my own family. I have a, I have a wife who, who's been married for 10 years and she's amazing. And I have a beautiful little girl. She's two years old. She's super sweet. She's cute. She's adorable. We call her Hurricane Esther because she makes a mess everywhere. And as I was writing this sermon, I was thinking, I can't wait to go home and be with my, be with my family. Because Ashley, she really is a pleasure to come home to. She's a joy to come home to. When I come home to my, to my little girl, this is not in my notes, but this is, I said it first service, and this is really good. I'm going to say it again. Um, <laughs> Esther, right, when I come home, it's the best thing. Okay, I open the door and I hear, and she goes, daddy, 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 daddy. It's, it's amazing. And then I hear her feet and just, she starts running. Boom, she takes off. She comes and she hugs me on my leg and she looks up to me. And last week she started saying for the first time, she says, I love you. It's the best thing in the world. I love to come home to my, to, to my family. And as I was working on this, I was thinking, okay, Ashley, okay, because I love her, there's some things that I do. 
you could talk to her. She's probably like, there's some things you should, could do a little bit more of. But there's <laughs> things that I, I, I do. So think about it. Okay, I am faithful to my wife. Not because it breaks the rules. I'm faithful to her because it would break her heart. Do you see that? See, sin is not only breaking rules, sin's also breaking the Father's heart. And so I, I, I love her. And so there's some things that I do for Esther. Right? She's cute. She's artistic. She loves to paint and draw and color. But she doesn't always keep it on the paper. Sometimes it gets on the walls, and she likes to paint on the walls. And she'll just go and she'll she'll start painting. She'll say color and just do it all over the walls. And we have to say, baby, no, you cannot color on the walls. You cannot paint on the walls. Why? Well, we love her, and also I love my wife, and I don't want her wrath to come down on me. So I'm like, baby, you cannot paint on these walls. And so I can't. I don't let her paint on on, on the walls. And I do that because I love her. And now if she paints on the wall, I don't kick her out of my family. I'm not like, you're two, go figure it out. Good luck getting an apartment, right? I don't do that. She's still a part of my family. I still love her, but I, when she paints on the walls, I bring her in and say, baby, I love you. I care about you. Right? I'm your daddy. You need to listen to me. Okay, do not paint on the walls. And I keep bringing her in. I keep bringing her closer and keep drawing her near. And the more that I do that, the more she listens to me. And eventually, she's going to stop painting on the walls. Okay, and it's the same way with God. It's the same way when it comes to your relationship with your heavenly father. See, some of you think, when I sin, I'm going to lose my salvation. Okay, you're not going to lose your salvation any more than Esther is going to stop being my daughter. Okay, because God, he does not lose his children. But if Esther's 18 and she's still painting on the walls, that's disobedience. Because she doesn't understand the heart of her father. If she's 18 and she's still making these mistakes, she never grew, she never matured, and she doesn't understand who the father is. And that's the same way where you're at to this day. Right? Some of you, you're new Christians. You just came into church, right? And your whole life right now is just painting on the walls and throwing spaghetti on the floor and pitching a big fit because you can't have ice cream for breakfast, okay? We call this sanctification. You're a new Christian. But the more you grow, the more more you mature, the more you get to know the family, the more you get to know the heart of the Father, eventually, obedience, it's not even a problem anymore. Because you're so close to him that you love him. You're in relationship with him. And obedience is the sign of that relationship. Does this make sense? So what Jesus is saying here is is very important. That obedience is the sign of relationship. So are you in relationship with Jesus? Well, how do I know? I thought it was because I was raised in church. Apparently not. Well, I thought it was because I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. Okay, well, how do I know if I'm in relationship? Well, do you do the will of God? Do you do the will of God in your life? That's how you know if you're in relationship. So what is it that God is telling you to do today? Whatever it is, that's what you need to go to do. Some of you, it means you need to read your Bible. You need to go home, get your Bible off the bookshelf, blow on it, get the dust off, open it up, and start reading. You need to do the will of God. For others of you, it means you need to pray. How can you have a relationship with someone you don't talk to? So you need to go home and you you need to pray. Others of you, you need to become a Christian. You need to get in relationship. You need to join the family. Become a Christian. And and give your life to Jesus and repent of your sins. Some of you, it means you need to go to next steps. You've been coming to church for a while, but you're still not really connected. You're not doing the will of God. So you need to go to next steps. And you need to find a group and get in a community group and get on a team and start giving and start participating and start doing the works of God. Because the truth is, the family of God is known by the works of God. And others of you, it means you need to start telling your friends. You need to start telling your family about your father. You need to start doing the works of God. And so we think about this, that obedience is a sign of 
this relationship. But it really must have been heartbreaking for Jesus to have this happen. I mean, you think his, his family, publicly, they deny him. And that Jesus has to look at his own mom and look at his own brothers and say, who are you? That he would distance himself from his own family and they would put him in this place that he has to make a choice to obey his father or to go home with his family. I mean, it must have been really heartbreaking for Jesus to be this lonely. Say, even my own family doesn't understand. Even my, my own family doesn't believe in me. Even my own family doesn't see me. Because Jesus knew that home is that hardest mission field. And it must have been very lonely for Jesus in this moment. But could you also think about what it must have been like to be Mary? I mean, if you were Mary, you think, Jesus, come home. You're my son. You're going to choose these people over me? Jesus, I, I gave birth to you. I changed your diaper, right? I raised you, Jesus, and you're going to choose them over me? Could you imagine what it must have been like to be married? What it would it be like to be James or one of Jesus' brothers? Jesus, you need to come home. You need to get home right now. You're crazy. And Jesus says, I'm not coming home. I'm not coming home. And James, Jesus, we shared a bunk bed and you're going to choose them over me. And Jesus says, I have to be obedient to my father. And Jesus, he makes this decision and this hard choice to follow his father instead of going back home with his family. And Mary and James and the rest of the brothers, they go home by themselves. And from here, we only meet him a couple of times in the story. They're third characters. They show up intermittently, but they're not really there with Jesus very often. They kind of watch from behind the scenes. And they would have seen Jesus more than anyone else. They saw him grow up. They saw him at the temple when he was 12, and Mary and Joseph lost him. They, they saw him swinging hammers in Joseph's carpentry shop. They saw him go into his public ministry, preaching, teaching, healing. They saw the fights with the Pharisees. They saw the feeding of the 5,000. They saw it when Jesus calmed the storm. They saw everything. They even saw Jesus be arrested. They watched Jesus be tried. They watched Jesus be crucified. They watched Jesus hang on a cross. They saw Jesus be murdered. They saw it all. And the Bible tells us at the foot of the cross was Mary. Mary watched her son be murdered. You think Mary, the day she had Jesus, she counted ten fingers, ten toes. She never thought those ten toes and ten, hand, ten fingers would be nailed to a cross. And she watches her son die. And James, he was right there. He watched his big brother be murdered in front of him. And they go home that day alone again. And I think that when they went home the day that Jesus died, I have to think they were thinking about this day. If he would have just came home the first time, this never would have happened. If he would have just came home when we asked him to, he would still be with us today. I mean, can you just imagine this? Just think about this. Just think about what it would be like to be James. I knew it! 
This is why we wanted him to come home. It's not because we hated him. It's because, it's because we loved him. It's because we were concerned for him. We know what happens when people claim to be God. We know what happens when people go against the religious systems. We know what happens when people rebel against Rome. They die, and we didn't want to see our brother dead, and now he's gone. And we have to go home alone. If he would have just listened to us, this wouldn't have happened. So they're at the house. But they, they didn't understand really what Jesus was all about. They didn't understand what it really meant to obey their, his father. Because Jesus was on a mission to seek and to save the lost. And three days later, Jesus, he resurrects. That Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. Jesus is resurrected. And you know what the first thing Jesus did after his resurrection was? The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that he goes home. And he goes to see his brother James. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine what this is like? I mean, you're James at home and your sisters are there and you're trying to comfort them and you got Jude and Joseph and Simon and there's, there's Mary and you're trying to comfort them and all of a sudden you hear a knock on the door. Who is it? It's Jesus. What kind of sick joke is this? My brother just died and now you're telling me, open the door, it's Jesus. I mean, what was that like? Can you just think about that? I mean, what did Jesus do? You know, here I am. Told you, baby brother. I'm God. You're right. You're God. And this is what I think is one of the best defenses of the Christian faith. Do you want to know how the resurrection historically would be real? Because Jesus' own family starts worshiping him as God. I mean, what would it do for you to worship your brother? You're like, uh, Satan, maybe. God, no. Right? There's a story about an orange bucket. You can't hear about it, but he's definitely not God. I can tell you that. And no one of my siblings would ever start a religion about me. That's for sure. But James and Jesus' family, they worship him as God. I mean, what do you do if you're James? You get down on your knees, you stand up, you laugh, you hug him, you hold him, you pick him up. I mean, how does that even go? And James, he begins to worship his brother Jesus as, as God. And eventually Mary and Jesus' brothers and Jesus' sisters, they become part of Jesus' true family. That his actual family becomes his true family. And I, I really want to give you some hope for your family today. Hey, listen, I know some of you, you feel this and you're, you're sensing this. And I get it. I totally understand it too because today I have three brothers who aren't here today. I get it because my mom, she's not here today either. I have a sister I haven't seen in 10 years. I don't even know if my dad knows my name or if he knows I'm a pastor or if he knows that I pray for him because I've never met him. And I, I feel it. I sense it in you. And I just want, really want to give you some hope for your family that even Jesus' family didn't believe in him. Even Jesus' family didn't understand him. Even Jesus' family didn't see him. But eventually, Jesus never gave up on his family. Jesus never gave up on his family. Jesus is telling you today, do not give up on your family. Because one day, your family could become a part of Jesus' family. 
Jesus never gave up on them. And what church history tells us is that Mary, she joined the early church. That in Acts chapter one, when it lists the believers, Mary, she's right there. Mary, she's there in the upper room as they're praying, as they're praying, as they're praying to see a miracle happen. Mary, she's right there. And then on Pentecost, as she's praying to her son Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that allowed her to give birth to Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that gave birth to the church. And the church explodes 3,000 people in a single day, and they meet my son Jesus. Can you imagine Mary in the church on that day? I mean, what would that, she's on the intercessory prayer team, right? Mary, she's, she's there, and she's, 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 she's leading redemption women, and all the women are coming, and she's like, let me tell you about my son, who's also my savior. Let me tell you about Jesus. And she got to watch the church grow and she got to be a part of Jesus's true family I mean just think about James right James he goes on and he's a pastor of the church of Jerusalem James he goes and he writes a book of the Bible called James and what's it called what's it about it's bold words from Jesus's brother the whole book is about his brother Jesus and James he becomes a pastor in the church and the church grows and it experiences persecution. And they go up to James and they say, James, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. And he says, I saw my big brother beat death. There's nothing you can do to scare me. Go ahead, kill me. I'm waiting for the day that I can knock on his door. Say, I told you, brother, I love you. They, they, they called James Camel Knees. Right, cool nickname. He got it because he would spend so much time on his knees praying for the family, but talking to his big brother, Jesus. Eventually, they kill James, and then Jesus has another brother named Simon, and he becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And then they kill him, and then Joseph becomes the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And his other brother writes a different book of the Bible called Jude. I mean, this is incredible. Okay, listen. I mean, these brothers, right? Planting churches, pastoring churches. One brother's the point of the whole Bible. Two of them go on and write books of the Bible. How could this be? How is this possible? Because when you're a part of the family of God, anything can happen and anything is possible. Don't give up on your family. Right. This is Jesus' family. And they believed. And eventually his family became a part of his true family. And there's hope for your family as well. If you're here today, if you're listening to me today, then Jesus is inviting you to be a part of his family. Jesus saying, don't be like my family. I want you to become my family. That you can be my mother and brothers. That you, you can be my sisters. And you can be a part of my true family. To the women to the older, older women, the moms in our church, listen to me. You know, Mary, Jesus says, I love you just like I love Mary. I'll give you value. I'll give you worth. I'll give you a promise. I'll love you just like I love my own mom. If you follow me, and if you be with me, and if you're in relationship with me, for your moms, Jesus will love you just like he loved his own mother. For the ladies in our church, the single, young, 
ladies, Jesus wants you to know you are so important. Because you're a sister. He'll be your big brother. He'll listen to you. He'll love you. He'll talk with you. He'll weep with you. He'll cry with you. He'll be right there for you. He'll protect you. He'll provide for you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you guidance. He'll always be right there for you. Ladies, you are important because Jesus is your big brother. For you men, Jesus is your brother too. And he wants you to walk with him. He wants you to grow with him. And Jesus is saying to his brothers, it's time. Come on, it's time. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to move forward. It's time for you to stand up. It's time for you because we need you, men. Don't give up. Come on. We need you, men. Sometimes brothers treat brothers a certain way. Jesus is saying to the men, we need you. We have churches to plant. We have a city to reach. We have missionaries to send. We got a job to do. We got work to do. My brothers, they planted churches. Come on, brothers, I need you. Jesus is saying, I'll be your brother if you're in relationship with me. This is Jesus' call to us. So if you're here today and you're hearing what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, I will be your brother. I will be with you. I will care for you. I will walk with you. I'll be there for you, but you have to have a relationship with me. Jesus is inviting you into this, to this family. And you guys have been really incredible today. And I, I can feel it in the room as I'm preaching. And I really want to, you know this. You're walking through this. So I, I want to spend some time today in prayer for your family. So as we close, we're going to have a prayer team in the back. And I know that there are people in the room who really need hope for your family. You're, you're struggling with this because you love them. You do. And you want to see them follow Jesus. And I want you to never give up on them. I, I'm, I'm over time. <clears throat> but I just, I, I really feel like I need to say this. My my Mimi, she's my, she's my grandmother's mom. She became a Christian when she was 60, right? All I knew was this rosy-cheeked, pink-haired, floral-dressed Baptist woman who loved Jesus so much. That's all I knew. I didn't know until after she passed that she was an alcoholic, that she was in several relationships and she put her kids through hell because of men who would come into their home. And Jesus changed her life. I never knew Betty, but I always knew Mimi. Don't give up on your family because God's not done working in their lives right now. Don't give up on them don't write them off. 
I just really felt like I needed to encourage some of you with that. That maybe it's your kids, or maybe it's your parents, or maybe it's your brothers or your sisters. But eventually Jesus' own family became a part of his true family. And Jesus is inviting you into that family today. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.